Hello and welcome back to Equity, the TechCrunch podcast where we unpack the numbers and nuance behind the headlines. I'm Natasha Mascarenas and it is Monday, January 23rd, 2023. I am back in San Francisco after five weeks of traveling around the East Coast and seeing almost everyone I love, including Alex, his new baby, and a ton of friends from college and home. So I am rejuvenated, but I am also super happy to be back in my favorite city. It truly feels like home. Let's jump into the show. All right, let's get right into big tech. I have two quick hits before we jump into the big deal. And if you get it right, I'm going to give you a brownie point at the end of this section. But first, we hear that Elliott Management, which is an activist investor, has taken a multi-billion dollar stake in Salesforce. For background, Elliott is the kind of investor that usually takes stakes in companies that it wants to make a lot of changes in, all with the goal of increasing shareholder value, which is a fancy way to say it's going to try and cut a lot of costs. At least it has in the past. And we do know that Salesforce had a pretty rocky end to 2022 with its executive shakeups. So definitely more to come there and not surprising. Speaking of billions, more positive news is from Tama Bravo, which is a private equity and growth capital firm. It acquired Magnet Forensics for $1.34 billion. The Waterloo-based company is making software used by defense forces, which is quite vague, but we do know businesses use it to investigate cybersecurity threats, which is quite great, I think. So yep, $1 billion acquisition and $1 multi-billion stake. Now let's get into the big deal in big tech. The big deal this morning is that we officially know that Microsoft has invested billions more in OpenAI, yes, the company behind DAL-E, GPT-3, and ChatGPT, in a multi-year, multi-billion dollar investment deal. The whole deal is kind of unique, and I think there's a bunch of charts out there. What I understand so far is that now OpenAI is a capped profit company. Under the model, OpenAI's investors are limited to 100x their investment, possibly less in the future. With Microsoft on its team, OpenAI is probably expecting more research support and more integration with Microsoft products, which is a good thing because if you consider how big and mainstream Microsoft is. But for yes, people who have been following the company forever, it is just kind of a continuation of both rumors and history. Because in 2019, Microsoft announced that it would invest $1 billion in OpenAI. Roughly half of that total was in the form of Azure credits, which I always feel like is a cop-out, but that's a separate podcast. And Microsoft also backs OpenAI's Startup Fund, which is a venture and tech incubator program from the AI company. So hey, we see a lot more happening with Microsoft. This actually isn't the last time we're going to talk about them during the pod. But while it's super exciting to see the deal finally come to light, it is at a weird time. Just last week, it announced plans to lay off 10,000 employees as part of a broader cost-cutting measures. Like I kind of said, I think people look at Microsoft as stable and trustworthy and reliable, for lack of better phrasing. And that's not even giving it too much credit. Just look at its stock price. The fact that it had layoffs gave a lot of surprise to the tech environment. And now that announced layoffs and also an investment, I don't know exactly what to think about where Microsoft is as a company, but we do know it's sitting a little bit weirdly just seeing it come so close together. What we do know is that down the road, And even currently, both Microsoft and OpenAI are having legal challenges put on their plate as they get closer and closer together. First off, I learned that the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office, USPTO, recently moved to revoke copyright protection for an AI-generated comic, saying that copyrightable works require human authorship. And we also know that Microsoft, GitHub, and OpenAI are currently being sued 
in a class action lawsuit that accuses them of violating copyright law by allowing Copilot, which is a co-generating system, to take sections of license code and regurgitate them without providing credit. It's kind of examples and proof that some of the questions that show up in our headlines and in our other shows around AI and trust and art and how that all works in a mainstream scaled fashion actually is turning up into legal headaches. And so, yes, we have seen that Microsoft is investing billions more, but clearly it's going to have a lot of work cut out for it. That's all I have from big tech, though. I mean, who can believe I'm an early stage reporter? I had so much to say this morning. Let's jump into more of my world and get into the big idea. This week's big idea has answered some of the questions I've had all year. So shout out to Anaheim for writing a story on TC Plus that I'm still thinking about. It's called The Mirage of Dry Powder. If you've been paying attention to tech at all over the downturn, you keep hearing the same refrain from optimistic and somewhat valid people, which is that VCs are sitting on more dry powder than ever before. It's locked up and there is more funds that have been raised that have been deployed. The latest stat I think I saw is that VCs are sitting on $290 billion of capital ready to be invested. And it's never been a better time to build a company. And while I love that argument and I'm here for it, and I'm sure I've even made that argument when explaining bad news, Anna's piece gets into why some of that excitement is a mirage. There's two big reasons. Reason one is this idea of capital calls. So people might not know this, but when a VC announces that they've raised a new fund, the money doesn't immediately go to their bank account due to the announcement or when it shows up on our homepage. Instead, VCs have to touch base with their limited in partners, their investors, whenever they find an investment that they're interested in. And that whole process of pinging them is known as a capital call. So literally, a VC calls their investor, asks for capital to complete an investment. The LP puts the money in their account, et cetera, et cetera. And while that usually happens and it's fine and the calls are made, in a downturn, it gets a bit more complicated. And there's such a thing called failed capital calls. We don't usually hear about them. And this is why there's this mirage of dry powder. Because to admit that your LP has not showed up for you is to kind of hurt a relationship with the investor that made a bet on you in the first place. That said, thank you to Forbes because they wrote a story that said that failed capital calls are indeed happening, especially hitting emerging fund managers. One example that Forbes used is that an emerging fund manager ended up making a capital call and around half, only half of the money that she requested made it to her bank account. She's been forced to make investments that are around a quarter or even half the size that she originally planned into startups. So failed capital calls does explain that, yes, we might see that people are sitting on powder, but how much of that powder is a promise versus a guarantee in their bank account? Reason number two is that the dry powder, according to Lux co-founder and managing partner Josh Wolf, is wet powder. Let me explain. He argues that many VC funds, yes, are sitting on money, but they're not going to be spending the money the same way that they used to. A lot of existing capital will be used to support portfolio companies, existing ones, that are struggling to raise their next round, looking for an insider, et cetera, et cetera, instead of investing in new startups. To me, I think that gives us a little heavier understanding of what some of that powder looks like. And just, I'm not saying it's a bad thing or that there's no accessible capital. We just talked about Sequoia's 195 million seat fund last week. Money's out there. It's just not being invested in the same way. And I think the more we can talk about it, the more realistic we can all be about how the startup environment is. So yes, Some of it is a mirage, and hopefully that big idea gets you to think a little bit differently about the funding rounds that close, which deserve all the respect in the world, and also some of the challenges that you as a founder might be facing when you're trying to raise. Let's pause on the VC talk and get into startups. I'm going to start with two pieces of bad news. 
and end with positive news, I promise. First up, we learned that Area 120, which is Google's in-house incubator, was severely impacted by Alphabet's mass layoffs. Majority of the team has been winded down and only three projects from that division are going to graduate later this year into the core Google product area. It's a bummer to hear when one of the most experimental parts of a company is being shuttered or being winded down. But I think this kind of story helps us remember that it happens in the first place. We see the big layoff stories. We don't always hear about which teams are more impacted than others. But it's a good question for all of us to keep asking. What does it mean when an in-house incubator is the one that was impacted? What does it mean when the sales team was impacted more than anything else? It's like a harder question to answer, but I think a more interesting one. And in this case, it just sucks to see that an innovation side of Google has been impacted. Another layoff story that happened this morning is that Spotify cut 600 employees or 6% of workforce. Their CEO basically said that operating costs outpaced revenue which follows a similar script that we've been talking about for far too long. And both items just make me think a little bit about, I mean, I riffed on it actually this past weekend for Startups Weekly. I wrote about how tech feels like it forgot its umbrella, which is kind of a weird metaphor. But I have this feeling that after last year, tech remembered to pack its water bottle, wear the right shoes, wear layers. And you know what? It even wore a waterproof hoodie. But then it went outside and realized that it needed an industrial umbrella. And that's my poetic way of explaining that like, It knew it needed to rein in costs, but it didn't go far enough because it felt like it was enough. And while I'm not saying that VCs and founders and entrepreneurs that have made these hard decisions should have predicted everything right, I think the lack of specificity on why what they did was not enough is something that I'm still asking myself. And I'm hoping that a CEO goes on the record about it soon because it is still such a bummer to hear the same canned statements layoff after layoff. That's it for bad news. I'm going to end on a bright spot because I'm going to talk about Wordle. And it may have been a minute since you've heard that, unless you're Marianne, because I'm pretty sure she still religiously plays it. And I love that for her. But the news this week is that Wordle clone Cordle was acquired by Merriam-Webster. Cordle builds on the basic Wordle concept, except there are four five-letter words to guess at once with just nine tries. I mean, there's more rules, but I'm not going to explain it to you because I feel like Merriam-Webster will do a good enough job. But, you know, we don't know how much it was acquired for. We, we love to see a acquisition around the love for words. Of course, there's precedent here. Almost exactly a year ago, Wordle was acquired by the New York Times for a ton of money. And then, of course, later on, Spotify acquired a Wordle-inspired music guessing game called Hurdle. So if you want a tongue twister, just keep repeating Hurdle, Quirtle, and Wordle. And if not, just be happy that we're seeing a fun acquisition from an app that was made for joy and not just money. Hopefully more to come in the rest of this year. And that is our show. This is the closest I think I'll ever get to doing a morning radio show. And it is super fun. So thank you all for having me. As always, I'm Natasha Mascarenas. You can follow me on Twitter at nmask underscore. But these days I'm on Instagram more. So catch me there at Natasha the Reporter. You can also follow Equity on Twitter at EquityPod. And if you want to support the show and read some of the amazing pieces I talked about today, Use code EQUITY for 50% off annual passes of TC+. You will not regret it. It is great. And some of our spiciest work lives there. Beyond that, we will chat soon. Equity Mondays are hosted by myself, senior TechCrunch reporter Natasha Mascarenas. We're produced by Teresa Loconsolo with editing by Kel Keller. Bryce Durbin is our illustrator. Alyssa Stringer leads audience development. And Henry Picovet manages TechCrunch audio products. Thanks so much for listening. And we'll be back next week. And then, of course, later on, Spotify acquirtled. I really just tried to say acquirtled. It's a tongue twister of a section.